Chapter 15 of Collected Papers on Analytical Psychology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt from Tucson, Arizona. Collected Papers on Analytical Psychology by Carl Gustav Jung. Translated by Constance Ellen Long. 1867 to 1923. Chapter 15. 3. The Individual as an Excerpt of the Collective Psyche. We now come to a problem the overlooking of which would cause the greatest confusion. As I said before, the immediate result of the analysis of the unconscious is that additional personal portions of the unconscious are incorporated into the conscious. I called these parts of the unconscious which are repressed but capable of being made conscious the personal unconscious. I showed, moreover, that through the annexation of the deeper layers of the unconscious, which I call the impersonal unconscious, an extension of the personality is brought about which leads to the state of God-almightiness, Gottanlichkeit. This state is reached by a continuation of the analytical work, by means of which we have already reintroduced what is repressed to consciousness. By continuing analysis further, we incorporate some distinctly impersonal universal basic qualities of humanity with the personal consciousness which brings about the aforesaid enlargement. And this, to some extent, may be described as an unpleasant consequence of analysis. From this standpoint, the conscious personality seems to be a more or less arbitrary excerpt of the collective psyche. It appears to consist of a number of universal basic human qualities of which it is a priori unconscious, and further of a series of impulses and forms which might just as well have been conscious, but were more or less arbitrarily repressed, in order to attain that excerpt of the collective psyche which we call personality. The term persona is really an excellent one, for persona was originally the mask which an actor wore, that served to indicate the character in which he appeared. For if we really venture to undertake to decide what psychic material must be accounted personal and what impersonal, we shall soon reach a state of great perplexity. For, in truth, we must make the same assertion regarding the contents of the personality as we have already made with respect to the impersonal unconscious. That is to say that it is collective whereas we can only concede individuality to the bounds of the persona, that is, to the particular choice of personal elements, and that only to a very limited extent. It is only by virtue of the fact that the persona is a more or less accidental or arbitrary excerpt of the collective psyche that we can lapse into the error of deeming it to be in toto individual, whereas its name denotes... It is only a mask of the collective psyche, a mask which simulates individuality, making others and oneself believe that one is individual, whilst one is only acting a part through which the collective psyche speaks.
If we analyze the persona, we remove the mask and discover that what appeared to be individual is at bottom collective. We thus trace the little god of the world back to his origin, that is, to a personification of the collective psyche. Finally, to our astonishment, we realize that the persona was only the mask of the collective psyche. Whether we follow Freud and reduce the primary impulse to sexuality or Adler and reduce it to the elementary desire for power or reduce it to the general principle of the collective psyche which contains the principles of both Freud and Adler, we arrive at the same result, namely the dissolution of the personal into the collective. Therefore, in every analysis that is continued sufficiently far, the moment arrives when the aforesaid God Almightiness must be realized. This condition is often ushered in by peculiar symptoms, for instance by dreams of flying through space like a comet, of being either the earth, the sun, or a star, or of being either extraordinarily big or small, of having died, etc., Physical sensations also occur, such as sensations of being too large for one's skin, or too fat, or hypnagogic feelings of endless sinking or rising occur, of enlargement of the body or of dizziness. This state is characterized psychologically by an extraordinary loss of orientation about one's personality, about what one really is, or else the individual has a positive but mistaken idea of that which he has just become. Intolerance, dogmatism, self-conceit, self-depreciation, contempt and belittling of not-analyzed fellow beings, and also of their opinions and activities, all very frequently occur. An increased disposition to physical disorders may also occasionally be observed, but this occurs only if pleasure be taken therein, thus prolonging this stage unduly. The wealth of the possibilities of the collective psyche is both confusing and dazzling. The dissolution of the persona results in the release of fantasy, which apparently is nothing else but the functioning of the collective psyche. This release brings materials into consciousness of whose existence we had no suspicion before. A rich mine of mythological thought and feeling is revealed. It is very hard to hold one's own against such an overwhelming impression. That is why this phase must be reckoned one of the real dangers of analysis, a fact that should not be concealed. As may easily be understood, this condition is hardly bearable, and one would like to put an end to it as soon as possible, for the analogy with a mental derangement is too close. The essence of the most frequent form of derangement, dementia precox, or schizophrenia, consists, as is well known, in the fact that the unconscious to a large extent ejects and replaces the conscious. The unconscious is given the value of reality being substituted for the reality function. The unconscious thoughts become audible as voices, or visible as visions, or perceptible as physical hallucinations, or they become fixed ideas of a kind that supersede reality. In a similar, although not in the same way, by the resolution of the persona of the collective psyche, the unconscious is drawn into the conscious. The difference between this state of mind and that of mental derangement consists in the fact that the unconscious is brought up by the help of the conscious analysis. 
At least that is the case in the beginning of analysis, when there are still strong cultural resistances against the unconscious to be overcome. Later on, after the removal of the barriers erected by time and custom, the unconscious usually proceeds, so to say, in a preemptory manner, sometimes even discharging itself in torrents into the consciousness. In this phase, the analogy with mental derangement is very close. But it would only be a real mental disorder should the content of the unconscious take the place of the conscious reality. That is, in other words, if the contents of the unconscious were believed absolutely and without reserve. 4. The Endeavors to Free the Individuality from the Collective Psyche 1. The Regressive Restoration of the Persona The unbearableness of thus being identified with the collective psyche forces us to find a radical solution. There are two ways open. The first possibility is the regressive one of trying to restore the persona to its former condition by endeavoring to restrain the unconscious by the application of a reductive theory. For instance, by declaring it to be nothing but long-repressed and overdue infantile sexuality, for which it would really be best to substitute the normal sexual function. This solution is based upon the unmistakable sexualistic symbolism of the language of the unconscious and upon the concretistic interpretation of the same. Or, an attempt may be made to apply the power theory by conceiving the God Almightiness as a virile protest and as an infantile striving for power and self-preservation a theory for which support is found in the unmistakable pretensions to power that the unconscious material contains. A further possibility would be to declare the unconscious to be the archaic collective psychology of primitive man, an explanation that would not only cover the sexualistic symbolism and the God Almighty aiming for power of the unconscious content, but would also apparently do justice to the religious philosophical, and mythological aspects and tendencies of the unconscious content. In every case, the conclusion arrived at is the same, viz., that the unconscious is nothing but this or that, which has already been adequately recognized and acknowledged as infantile, useless, meaningless, impossible, and out of date. There is nothing to be done but to shrug one's shoulders and resign oneself to the inevitable. To the patient, there seems to be no alternative, if one wishes to continue to live sensibly, but to restore in so far as is possible that extract of the collective psyche termed persona, to lay the fact of analysis silently aside and do one's utmost to forget that one possesses an unconscious. We shall find support in Faust's words. The sphere of earth is known enough to me, the view beyond is barred immutably. A fool who there his blinking eyes directeth, and o'er his clouds of peers a place expecteth. Firm let him stand and look around him well. This world means something to the capable. Why needs he through eternity to wend? He here acquires what he can apprehend. Thus let him wander down his earthly day, 
when spirits haunt, go quietly his way. In marching onward bliss and torment find, though every moment with unsated mind. This would be a happy solution if one really could succeed in throwing off the unconscious to such an extent as to withdraw the libido from it, and so render it inoperative. But experience proves that energy cannot be withdrawn from the unconscious. It continues operative, for the unconscious contains and is indeed itself the source of libido, from which issue the primary psychic elements, thought feelings, or feeling thoughts, undifferentiated germs of idea and sentiment. It would therefore be a delusion to believe that by means of some, so to say, magical theory or method, the libido could be conclusively wrested from the unconscious, or that it could be to a certain extent disconnected. One may yield to this illusion for a time, but someday he will be obliged to declare with Faust. Now fills the air so many a haunting shape that no one knows how best he may escape. What though one day with rational brightness beams, the night entangles us in webs of dreams. From our young fields of life we come elate. There croaks a bird, what croaks he? Evil fate. By superstition constantly ensnared, it grows to us and warns and is declared. Intimidated thus we stand alone, the portal jars, yet entrance there is none. Is anyone here? Care. Yes, must be my reply. Faust. And thou, who art thou then? Care. Well, here am I. Faust. Avant! Care. I am where I should be, though no ear should choose to hear me. Yet the shrinking heart must fear me, though transformed to mortalized. Grimmest power I exercise. The unconscious cannot be analyzed to a finish and thus brought to a standstill. No one can wrest active force from it for any length of time. Therefore, to act according to the method just described is only to deceive oneself and is nothing but a new addition of an ordinary repression. 2. The Identification with the Collective Psyche the second way would be that of identification with the collective psyche. That would mean the symptom of God Almightiness developed into a system. In other words, one would be the fortunate possessor of the absolute truth that had yet to be discovered, of the conclusive knowledge which would be the people's salvation. This attitude is not necessarily megalomania, von in a direct form, but the well-known milder form of having a prophetic mission. Weak minds which, as is so often the case, have correspondingly an undue share of vanity and misplaced naivete at their disposal, run a considerable risk of succumbing to this temptation. The obtaining access to the collective psyche signifies a renewal of life for the individual, whether this renewal of life be felt as something pleasant or unpleasant. It would seem desirable to retain a hold upon this renewal for one person because it increases his feeling for life, Lebensgefühl, for another because it promises a great accretion to his knowledge. Therefore, both of them, 
not wishing to deprive themselves of the rich values that lie buried in the collective psyche, will endeavor by every means possible to retain their newly gained union with the primal cause of life. Identification appears to be the nearest way to it, for the merging of the persona and the collective psyche is a veritable lure to unite oneself with this ocean of divinity, and oblivious of the past, to become absorbed in it. This piece of mysticism belongs to every finer individual, just as the yearning for the mother, the looking back to the source whence one originated, is innate in everyone. As I have demonstrated explicitly before, there is a special value and a special necessity hidden in the regressive longing, which, as is well known, Freud conceives as infantile fixation or as incest wish. This necessity and longing is particularly emphasized in myths, where it is always the strongest and best of people, in other words, the hero, who follows the regressive longing and deliberately runs into danger of letting himself be devoured by the monster of the maternal first cause. But he is a hero only because, instead of letting himself be finally devoured by the monster, he conquers it, and that not only once, but several times. It is only through the conquest of the collective psyche that its true value can be attained, whether it be under the symbol of capture of treasure, of an invincible weapon, of a magical means of defense, or whatever else the myth devises as the most desirable possession. Hence, whoever identifies himself with the collective psyche also reaches the treasure which the dragon guards, but against his will unto his own great injury by thus allowing himself, mythologically speaking, to be devoured by the monster and merged with it. Identification with the collective psyche is therefore a failure. This way ends just as disastrously as did the first, which led to the severance of the persona from the collective psyche. End of chapter 15, sections 3 and 4.